listening to the Five Points Church Planting Podcast, where two church planters try to make one good point. My name is Reed, and I'm the intern pushing all the buttons. This episode of the podcast is sponsored by Auxilio Partners, managing the business of your church so that you can focus on the ministry. Find out how at auxilio.partners slash five points. Today on the pod, we're going to talk with Andy Young, a church planter in Oxford, not Mississippi, England. The conversation was such an encouragement to me, and I hope you'll enjoy it just as much. Here we go. So in our last episode, John St. Martin, one of our hosts, was not able to join us. I kidded with him that the reason he was not on the air is because the Tennessee Titans were 2-0. and The Minnesota Vikings were 0-2. I did not realize that the Vikings and the Titans were going to play each other that weekend. And so what happened? Well, the Tennessee Titans beat John's beloved Minnesota Vikings and the winning kick, which I think was kicked from as far away as Fargo was made by Steven Gaukowski, which I'm sure I'm pronouncing his name wrong, but a university of Memphis football player. Our guest this morning probably likes to talk about football as well, but it's the kind that stays on the ground, soccer. That's Andy Young. He's a church planter in England. Andy, we're thankful that you could join us this morning. It is great to be here with you guys. And uh, I I do like uh, the original game of football, but being a a Welshman, I have to say I prefer rugby. Do you know what I'm talking about when I talk about rugby? It's, it's the yes. game that real men play. Right, uh, right, no, right. No pads. Yes. And uh, uh, you just eat each other alive on the pitch. That's what I, that would be my, pref- my preferred sporting preference. But I'll take soccer. I, do you know what, though? I, I actually love American football. Really? I played a bit of American football when I was a child, even though I grew up in Wales. So I feel at home. Right. So you just, de- just determined that your cousins on the other side of the pond play a very weak version of the game. And so you choose rugby, right? Yeah. Well, I'll, I'll let you put that spin on it. Yeah, <laughs> that's right. <laughs> well, it's great to have you with us today, Andy. We just wanted to highlight what's going on in England. You know, for most of our listeners, we're here stateside and, um, you know, we're in our own kind of Uh, cultural moment but uh, you know our histories are tied together especially as Presbyterians and Westminster men why don't you go ahead and uh, give us a a quick introduction of kind of who you are how you came to faith how you became a church planter um, where you're planting Uh, maybe help us understand uh, the moment that you're jumping into as a church planter in in England yeah, great. It's great to be with you guys. And uh, before I answer your question, just want to say thank you for inviting me on. I have uh, a pathological love for all things American. Um, I meet Americans that are Anglophiles, but I think I'm an Americanphile. Is that is that a word? Um, my granddad's American, and my other granddad was Canadian. And uh, I just I love being in America. I just I love Americans. I love your generosity. Um, I love your entrepreneurial spirit and um, how positive you are about things. So, and what, what, I think that feeds into church planting. And also as a, as a small denomination that I'm part of, Presbyterian denomination, it's called the EPCEW, Evangelical Presbyterian Church in England and Wales. Even though we've got congregations in Germany and Sweden, uh, we need to change that name at some point. Uh, we are as a denomination 
uh, we're thankful to American support, prayers and influence. And then what I'm doing is, is the same. I wouldn't be here in Oxford if it wasn't for you guys. Um, so very briefly, I, I, I was brought up in a Christian family, a Presbyterian family in Wales, the great country of Wales. And uh, uh, I, I suppose my conversion experience is one of it just being very gradual, just very piecemeal. And I could probably bore you with some details of how at seven years old, I heard a sermon and couldn't sleep that night because I'd heard about the Lamb's Book of Life. And I didn't know if my name was in it or not. And I was worried. And uh, I look back and praise the Lord that I was worried. Uh, but really, it was very gradual. And um, I said that to encourage, uh, encourage church planters, to encourage parents. Um, I didn't have a kind of Damascus Road experience. Um, it was just a very gradual move. And here's another interesting, quirky thing. When I was about 15, this was really used by God in, in bringing me to know him. Uh, because when, you, when you're brought up in a Christian family, you know the truths, don't you? And yet they're not your own. And that's one of the real wrestles. Is this mine or is it just my parents or my churches? And I was helping a minister um, who I still know move house and we were moving a study. And guess what? Ministers have lots of books. So I'm unpacking these books, getting into a conversation with him about Christian literature. And he hands me volume one of B.B. Warfield's works as a 15-year-old and says, go read that. So I'm up at late at night. I've got a dictionary beside me because I can't understand, understand every fifth word that B.B. Warfield uses. But in volume one of his works, the very first chapter is like this 50-page chapter on God. That's what it's, the title is God. Okay, so this is, you know, all the odds are against a teenage guy, kid who loves sport and is chasing girls and is getting into substance abuse in ways he shouldn't be. All the odds are against him going, hey, this will be fun. Let's read 50, 50 pages <laughs> on God. Well, I was just totally enthralled. I couldn't put it down. And God used that. And you know, that I remember this moment as a 15-year-old, kind of sitting back in my chair. It must have been two in the morning, dictionary open. And just, this is what I thought. God is so much greater than my greatest thought of him. And that blew me away. Just this God that is... I could spend an eternity thinking about him and having great things of him, and I would only get a slice, an infinitesimal slice of who he really is and of how great he is. And that just blew me away. Um, mm. What am I doing? So I'm, I'm planting a church, Reformed Presbyterian, hopefully sane church in Oxford, UK. <laughs> um, I do put in that word sane because there is insane uh, Reformed church planting, isn't there? Maybe... Maybe that's another topic for another day, but um, we try to be sane, try to be normal. We love Jesus. We want to preach the gospel. We're passionate about the Bible. We want to see sinners saved, saints sanctified, and the kingdom of Christ come uh, through the ordinary means of grace and by loving each other uh, and reaching out. And that's what we're doing in Oxford, uh, Oxford, UK, one of the, I suppose, one of the most famous cities in the world. Um, there are other gospel preaching churches here, which I'm working with and I'm thankful for, but there's nothing... There's nothing distinctively reformed and confessional. And also there aren't enough. You know, people say, why are you planting a church in Oxford? I can, there are already two gospel preaching churches. I'm like two for a population of 160,000 that swells to a quarter of a million and the world comes here. Two, two or three or four, 10 isn't enough. We need more gospel mm. preaching, Jesus loving, Bible believing churches. So that's what, that's what I'm doing in Oxford, UK. 
So how did you get called as a church planter? What body called you as you have a sending church? How did you end up in Oxford? So I was minister of a church um, about an hour uh, west, or, sorry, east of Oxford. Um, sorry, west. I should know my northeast, south, shouldn't I? Um, uh, but then if you go due, uh, due west of Oxford, you hit a town called Cheltenham. And we had planted this small group of churches that I'm involved in, the Evangelical Presbyterian Church, England and Wales, small denomination. We had planted a church in Cheltenham a few years ago with an American MTW guy called Tim Horn. Great guy. Um, he had gone back to the US. I'd been called just out of seminary to, to take on that church. Was there for 10 years. And we'd always targeted Oxford. Tar you know, we, we believe in strategic mm. church planting. We're a church planting denomination, though we're small. We'd had a church in Oxford uh, about 25 years ago that had failed. Do you know the name Ian Duggett? Uh, Westminster guy, writes amazing commentaries, uh, very gifted. He had planted a church whilst doing his doctorate here that eventually failed. And so we'd been wanting to plant a church here. And I was involved as a young guy in trying to think through that. We had a few false starts. I did not dream that I was the guy to do it until people started going, hey, Andy, maybe you should do it. And I was kind of like, really? Don't be silly. You're having a laugh. You know, what, what is this? April Fool's Day. What are you, you know, I can't plant a church. And then you start thinking about it, don't you? And the Lord puts it on your heart. He loosened the roots. I'd been there 10 years in my previous church. And then the door opened. And to be brutally honest, the door that really opened it was the financial door. Um, and we had an anonymous donor who basically out of the blue gave us 18 months of funding and said, said, we want you, Andy, to go and plant this church in Oxford, and we're giving you 18 months of funding to do that. And that was, it was one of those moments as a church planter, you guys all, you know, you kind of, you're looking for, we don't believe in, in, in the charismatic gifts. Well, I, we do actually, we just need to recover <laughs> it. Uh, but, it, you know, not in the kind of, we don't practice the tongues and healing and all that. But we do believe in, in uh, we're practicing supernaturalists, aren't we? Yeah, God exists. And, we, we, and he acts and he answers prayer. And I was there praying for three or four months going, Lord, if you want this to happen, you've got you to really clearly, clearly make it clear, mm -hmm. you know, make it clear. And then that happened. I get the phone call, Andy, this is what's happened. I'm like, Lord, you're not making it easy for me to say no here, are you? Do you know what I'm saying? So the door kind of bl got blown off the hinges. And it was kind of like, right, well, even if I'm going to fail, the Lord is sending me to fail. Uh, it was that clear. Uh, there mm -hmm. were other factors as well, but that was kind of a, a big one. And so I was sent by my denomination. So, Andy, this is something that I did not realize, but Tim Horn is a good friend of mine. And no way. Yes, he is. And we're both from Alabama. And yeah. when I led the Mid-South Church Planning Network, he was a big part of helping the network um, okay. in terms of planting churches. So that's a neat connection that we just Absolutely. made across the pond there. So in, in terms of church planning in the UK, what are some difficulties that you face that are different perhaps than in the United States, some of the difficulties that John and I would see, and what are some that might be the same? That's a great question. And maybe I should preface my answer with, you know, I'd love to hear from you guys. I don't want to presume that hey, I know the difference between church planning here with you guys. My guess is, but it's not just my guess, because I've got good friends like you guys and PCA church planters who 
who face very similar struggles to, to we face. I mean, I, I think of church planting to a degree, uh, it's a bit like any church work, uh, just on a much smaller scale. Um, and everything is weighted on one or two people's shoulders. Whereas you normally would have more of a staff team. The church planter, you know, you still got to preach, you still got to pastor, you still got to evangelize, you still got to pray, you still got to deal with yourself, which is sometimes the biggest battle. So, uh, you know, that those, those things are going to be in common, um, I think, wherever you are in the world. But to try and answer, what I can do is give you a bit of a picture of what it's like on, on the ground here. And then maybe you guys can compare and contrast better than I can with uh, the US. Um, we're living in an increasingly hyper-secularized context in the UK. Now, this will vary on specific location. But if you come to somewhere like Oxford, um, Oxford is, you know, it is the one of the bastions of liberal, humanist, atheistic secularism right here. We're right in the mix right here. This is Babylon um, in many, many ways. Um, so that might be different to you guys. Um, church, church attendance on average in the UK is about two or three uh, percent of the population. And that is going to anything, you know, that's you, anyone that wants to deem themselves church, that could be Unitarian, Roman Catholic, charismatic, as well as Presbyterian, Baptist, evangelical, you name it. That's two or three percent. In some places, it's under half a percent of people going to church. So wow. one of the battles we just face is you're just irrelevant. <laughs> you, you, I, I'm getting slightly older now. I'm 41. But when I, I went into ministry at the age of 28 and I met people who just, you know, here I am, this young, fresh, green behind the ears kind of guy. You know, I'm not wearing sandals and socks and got a bushy beard and look like I've come out of um, some other galaxy. Uh, I hope I don't anyway. And they go, you're a, you're what? You know, they're expecting me to say, you're a doctor, an accountant, a dentist, um, whatever. <laughs> and then I, I'm like, I'm a church minister of an evangelical church. And then you say Presbyterian. And they're like, what, is that one of the underground, un London underground stations? What is that? How do you, how do you pronounce it? What, what's that all about? Oh, wait a minute. Um, one of our prime ministers, Gordon Brown, was a Presbyterian. Oh, you know, that colors their view. Um, he was this kind of cantankerous doer Scott and et cetera, et cetera. So that's a problem. That, that is a problem in terms of point of contact with our, with our culture. Um, I think one of the big problems we face on the ground here is just resourcing. The church is much, much smaller. And so most of my ministerial friends in other churches, both reformed, conservative, evangelical, to a degree charismatic as well. We always talk about we're two or three families away uh, of, of the church failing. So by that, two or three, if two or three families left, the church is now in major problems financially. So that's a problem. Um, I said we, we started with this launch fund that was amazing, but 18 months dries up, goes pretty quickly in church planting. So I'm both, I'm, I'm, we're now two years in, I'm planting and also fundraising at the same time. Right. Um, that's, that's pretty hard. <laughs> um, yep. You know, because, you know, if you want to fundraise well, it's about relationship. It's about spending time. You know, COVID-19 hit. I had spent six months in the lead up to April this year, developing relationships with people online, via email, making connections, planning a trip in April to the U.S., I was going to be in Mississippi, then over in Charlotte, 
um, and somewhere else, I can't even remember. I had booked in my timetable. I spent hours and hours of time doing this, you know, Zoom, phone calls, emails, texting, building relationships, cold contact, blah, blah, blah. I'd filled a timetable for two weeks to just fundraise, to meet with people, wine and dine, press the flesh, do, do the smile, sell the, sell the <laughs> church plant. And then COVID-19 hits and it's like, no, <laughs> it's, it all went down the drain. Um, that's okay, but you know, I, I, God is sovereign. I, but this is the problem is you've got, and at the same time, you're trying to run services and trying to pastor, evangelize, build a church. And I suppose that's the last thing is we, in terms of resources, we struggle with, we struggle with resourcing what we're doing, but the biggest problems, people, um, big, the biggest problem is people is people on the ground. Um, right now, pretty much if anything, I do it. So preaching, teaching, I mean, I'm talking about turning up. You, you, you guys can, you, the listeners can't hear this, but you can see behind me, there's my pulpit. There's the mic stand. There's <laughs> the banners. Okay. There's the communion table. It all goes in my car on a Sunday and we take it, we unpack it, we set it up. Now, thanks be to God, we've got a handful of people that are willing to help, but people who could really shoulder the work. Um, moving from a church, it's like a baby. It's moving from the infant stage to the, to the, the more settled stages is, um, is pretty tough. Oh, thanks for painting that picture for us, Andy. That's, it's helpful. There's a lot of similarities there. I think every church planter has their backseat full of church stuff uh, more yeah, than our wives would appreciate. Um, <laughs> but <laughs> that, that's just the life of, I think many times any pastor is always kind of has that crossover, but uh, good to hear kind of a, a snapshot of what that looks like. If somebody wanted to, uh, learn more about your church, if they wanted to contact you, maybe even support you, what's the best way that they could, you know, find your email or uh, get an update from you? The best way is to go to our website, which is www.oxfordpres.co.uk, oxfordpres.co.uk, or just Google Oxford Evangelical Presbyterian Church UK, you'll get it. And on that website, there's a lot more detail uh, there's my contact details, phone number, uh, email address, um, et cetera, et cetera. We are actually, we're actually set up um, with a 501c3 organization online. So you can give through global service network. If, if you wanted to, that would be very kind of you. Okay. Or if you want to get on our prayer letter that I send out bi-monthly, um, then yeah, that, that's probably the best way to do it. Yeah. So uh, in many ways, when I see your name come across my Facebook screen, uh, it seems like you are a uh, internet leader in Zoom uh, <laughs> ministry. Why don't you tell us a little bit about how you guys have adjusted to the the new world of Zoom as you've been planting a church and kind of pushing your ministries that way. Uh, I think you've kind of embraced the silliness of where we're at, and uh, it's been cool to kind of see. Yeah, it's been crazy. And you know what? Three years ago, I wasn't on Facebook. I wasn't on Twitter. Uh, and I, I couldn't spell social media if, it, if, it, if, I, if my life depended on it. Um, and then becoming a church planter, I realized I've got to get good at this, partly for support. I mean, I had American supporters saying to me, please give us updates and Facebook's a great way. So I, I got with the program and then COVID-19 hit. Uh, I, I, some friends of mine, three other guys, um, two of them are Americans, actually. One of them's an ARP church planter in the UK. One's um, a PCA church planter in the UK. Josh Rieger is the PCA guy. And then another Brit. We set up something about 
a year ago called Gospel Reformation UK, really to just try and promote reform church planting in the UK because there's so much need. COVID-19 hit and we just noticed everyone was cancelling all their conferences because of COVID-19. And we don't take ourselves very seriously, but we looked at each other and said, we swore blue, we would never do this. How about hosting a conference? And let's call it Zoom Utopia, totally tongue in cheek, totally taking the mick out of ourselves, because we all know there is nothing utopic about Zoom. <laughs> so we called it Zoom Utopia. We got um, Kevin DeYoung involved and then a couple of guys in the UK, and we were blown away. Um, we had, I think in the end, we, we streamed it via Zoom to this conference, online conference to uh, YouTube, Facebook, and Periscope. And I think we had something in the region of three to 400 people log on. Now that's machines. So uh, the feedback we had, you know, there may have been a thousand people that engaged right across the world. Now in, in British standards, if, if, if you get double figures for anything like that in, in British standards, you are, you, you are an internet celebrity, okay? You get 15 people, you are the dude. So the numbers we got were just, it blew us away. And um, so we've continued to use that a little bit. And um, continued zoom utopia we just had david strain on um this week uh we've actually we're hosting a women's conference with susan hunt you guys know susan hunt so we've got susan hunt speaking this saturday actually true women for christ go on uh, if you google gospel reformation uk you'll get our website and you it's free conference um this coming saturday 3rd of october so we're looking forward to that and we're just trying to use this second best medium which is what it is. It's second best. But nonetheless, people are in their homes. People are needing encouragement. Let's use it to encourage people and get the word out there. So you're planting in Oxford, England, and you've talked about the difficulties of the culture there in terms of the church. Um, but you're a reformed church plant. What attributes do you see in terms of reform plant that maybe are appealing to the unchurched and de-churched in your area? That's a great question. And um, I think to a degree, it is going to be location dependent. Someone like Oxford is perfect for the reform faith, believe it or not. So I, I just painted what could be a negative picture, some of the challenges we face that we share. But I, I want to be overwhelmingly positive. I am so excited about the opportunities, not just for the gospel, but for the reform faith. Why? To try and answer your question. Um, there's a few reasons. I think there is something very authentic about the Reformed faith. Um, we're not, off, we, we, we are people pleasers in the sense that we want, we, we, you know, am I a seeker-friendly church? Of course I am. You know, I, I, want, I want people to come and, and hear about Jesus. And I want us to be warm and welcoming. But I think our, our culture, our Western culture particularly, but the Oxford culture I'm in, is crying out for the authentic. Um, it is crying out for something real. They're being offered so much that does not satisfy. Um, and, and I think COVID-19 has exposed this more than ever, that, mm -hmm. that our politicians don't satisfy, um, that uh, we can't trust our medical services, we can't trust the scientific data out there. We're all debating what is true scientific data on COVID-19. Right. They're wanting something that's authentic. Uh, interestingly, I arrived here two years ago thinking, you know, there were going to be uh, Richard Dawkins on every street, you know, <laughs> with uh, the, the God delusion 
under their arm, <laughs> whipping it out, et cetera, et cetera. You know what? We know what we're finding. Atheism is beyond the curve. Um, actually, atheism is being replaced by something else uh, that I can mention in just a moment. Atheism is being shown to be intellectually a problem for anyone who begins to really think. And so you've got these bright kids, some of the brightest in the world coming to Oxford. And actually, the questions they were asking 20 years ago, which were basically the God delusion questions, they're asking very different questions now because they're realizing it is not satisfying. And so, again, to get back to your, to your, to your question, Hunter, I think the reform faith offers something that is robust as well. We're not afraid to debate, to discuss, to drill down. We've got hundreds of years, quite consciously, we've got hundreds of years of thought and of debate and of discussion. We've got thousands of years. <laughs> And so when, you know, if someone says, uh, you know, someone comes into my church and says, well, yeah, could, could we have a really good discussion about X? You know, we don't go, wait a minute, what's going on? We go, yeah, this is what we're all about. This, let's do it. Mm -hmm. And that then feeds into the other thing I wanted to say, which is I think people are crying out for, so authentic, robust, and historical. Actually, mm -hmm. people are crying out for history and for heritage. And what we do in the Reformed faith is we are celebrating. I don't stand up and say, hey, I've got the new thing, guys. I'm standing up going, hey, I'm standing on the shoulders of, of giants. Oh, by the way, 2,000 years of giants. Mm -hmm. So you should see people's faces light up. So I get, there's, a, there's this student who, who's, who's come and been converted in our church. Brilliant kid. Absolutely brilliant. I mean, he's far brighter than I'll ever be. He's tried other churches. He comes, he comes to us and we stand up and we recite the Nicene Creed or the Apostles' Creed. Or one of or parts of the Westminster Confession of Faith in our service, and suddenly he's going, "Hey, this is substantive. I can. Get, this is actually feeding my intellect and getting to my heart." And, and actually, we, he was converted. He stayed with us. He's growing. Challenges, but actually, it's appealing to the, the robustness, the authenticity, and the heritage of our faith. It's actually appealing to our culture. I think. Andy, you mentioned earlier the word evangelical. And in our culture, it, that term has been hijacked in terms of political science. What, what about where you are in Oxford when you use that term? That's a great question. And again, it really depends who you're talking to. So some people it will be when they think evangelical, they are, they think happy, clappy. Um, all you're after is, you know, smoke machine sombrero and a dance band okay that sombrero, and, you know, no, man, or, wow. <laughs> just total emotionalism that's what they're that's what they're thinking evangelicalism equals emotional religion okay where it's going to be loud it's going to be crazy and they're going to expect you to be dancing and jumping up and down and elbowing each other in the face that's what they're expecting so that's what some people will think some people, I think we're living in a culture where evangelical, again, like Presbyterian is, is that one of the London Underground stations? I don't know what that is. Mm -hmm. I've never come across it before. Um, it's not associated with the political, um, dare I say, thankfully. Um, mm -hmm. But yeah, I think, I think perhaps, perhaps for some people it's associated with fundamentalism now. Mm -hmm. So particularly with the whole... Um, LGBTQI agenda out there, um, you know, it's often associated with, oh, you're, you're uh, against abortion, you're against homosexual uh, marriage, you're against transgenderism, you know, it, it's what you're against. 
Um, and that can be a challenge as well, because what we want to say is, no, no, can I tell you what I'm for before I sure. tell you what I'm against? Sure, right. Well, Andy, perhaps you could share with us maybe a highlight of, of the planting. You've been there, you said, for two years before the shutdown, maybe during the shutdown. What, what's one way you've seen kind of God show up in a way that's just been uh, an encouragement to you? It's a great question. And there's a number of candidates that would compete to, uh, to get to the top of that answer. I think definitely that, that the number one would have to be seeing God answer prayer. Um, hmm. I, I often kind of joke with myself and others, you know, if you want to learn to pray, plant a church. Because just, uh, just you're brought to your knees, aren't you? you? You literally are. You look at yourself in the mirror and you go, I cannot do this. I, I can't raise the money. I can't gather the people. I can barely string two sane sentences together in the pulpit, let alone, you know, God, what are you doing? You know, I, I, and if you don't, I, I just keep finding myself pray Psalm 127, unless the Lord build the house, my labor is in vain. And I, I believe yep. that with such passion now with with existential passion because it's so true but the amazing thing is is god has answered prayer you know we face difficulties of location where we can hold our services of funding of people so when we this was a cold church plant we'd done a little bit of preparatory work for a couple of years with a um, a group meeting once a month but when we started our services i knew there would be i think i was praying i knew there'd be 12 people at our first service six of those were me and my family First service, 30 people rocked up. Mm. And I was just like, I mean, I'm just, I, I'm Welsh, so I'm, be, I'm almost crying every second of, the time of, of my life. But, you know, the emotions are bubbling underneath. But I'm just weeping with joy, just going, where did these people come from? And some of them have been watching us online for months, going, oh, I'm coming to Oxford, I'll go to that church. Of course, a part of me is thinking, and you couldn't tell me? You know, before you turned up, it would have been a mild encouragement to know you were coming. But you know what? God keeps you on your knees, doesn't he? And I could just give you pr answer to prayer after answer to prayer after answer to prayer, big, small, and everything mm. in between. And God answers prayer. And just, it's a real reminder to me. I tell you something I've learned, and I just encourage anyone who's in church ministry to do this, uh, is go for a walk. <laughs> yeah, what am I talking about? It's not just good for your health, uh, but it, it pray. <laughs> don't, don't listen to stuff. Just go for a walk and pray. And I've gone into the habit, I should do it more than I do, of just getting outside, and walking for an hour and praying. Try to stay, I do it out loud. Try to stay away from crowds, otherwise they'll be calling the psychiatrist because they think you're nuts. But you know, go, go somewhere on your own and just pray and pray and make, make it a habit. Just get out and throw yourself on God and go, Lord, unless you build the house, my life. You know, this Sunday, you need to bring new people. That guy who came who isn't a Christian, save him. We've got a problem with our location, answer it and provide. We need more money please raise up a donor, you know, and do you know what? You'll find God answers your prayer. I know that's such a simple thing, isn't mm. it? But it's so exciting in the Christian life when God answers prayer for the kingdom. Mm. And uh, that, yeah, it's just, just an encouraging thing. I'm sure you guys could recount similar tales. Sure. Oh, absolutely. I remember my mentor in terms of church planting once said to me that one of the great things about church planting is you get to experience God up close and personal. Yes. And yeah, that well was put. a very profound statement. Andy, you've been talking about prayer as we come to a conclusion today. How can we pray for you? How can our listeners pray for you? Thanks so much. We, we currently don't have um, a morning service location. And uh, uh, we were using this great facility that because of COVID, the university's acquired until COVID is over. So it's not that they've kicked us out. Um, but so that's a prayer. And actually, we 
a prayer request. We, we would love to have our own, something we could call our own and something permanent. We're spending hiring facilities in the center of Oxford is insanely expensive. You know, it's comparable to Manhattan. Um, so just in terms of fundraising and budgeting, if we got our own place, then it would potentially be a lot cheaper. So pray for that. But actually more importantly than that, I mentioned this earlier, pray the Lord would raise up helpers on the ground, uh, men and women who will roll up their sleeves, commit to their work and be willing to do, you know, all the jobs that need doing one of, this is one of the problems. This would be a great podcast guys for all church planters. How do you move? Most church planters are visionaries. We're leaders. We go, Hey, I'm going to plant a church great you plant the church okay how do you now move that church plant to become a much more functioning well-oiled machine of a church an established church how do you get people involved because most church planters if we're honest have just a thin thin um tendency a slight tendency to megalomania okay <laughs> well I, I, you know what i'm saying guys no i don't Everyone, know what you're talking about i have no, no i know you don't hunter but I, and i'm so sure but <laughs> Because we're leaders, we get it done. The problem is that's not healthy for a church long-term. So it's moving from that, from our strengths to, in a sense, our weaknesses. How do we give away the church to others so they can own it and become it? And so praying that I would know how to do that, I don't know how to do that. Honestly, guys, I, I want to learn. How do I do that? And I need people to help me, and I need people on the ground. So that would be a really big, big prayer for us as well. Excellent. Well, thanks for being with us today, Andy. I can't let you off without what I consider to be the greatest bridge across the ocean. And that is, you said you love all things American, but do you love the American version of The Office better <laughs> than the original? <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's, here's the thing. I've, um, I've, I've, I've watched some of the American version. I've watched quite a lot of the uh, British version. And um, it, I, I, I think the American version is great. I think it's hilarious. I think it's incredibly well. Um, what do you call it? That whoever whoever assigned the roles to the to the actors and mm. actresses, just some of the actors and actresses in the American version, they just they're brilliant. But it's almost like they're two different shows. Yeah, they really um, because are. Because I, I read something on this about so British humor. The reason why The Office over here was became so huge is because no one had explored the. Um, the, the, the uh, humor technique of awkwardness and of the awkward mm. silence. So if you watch the British version, the guy, the main protagonist or antagonist, um, he, he just says things, everyone's cringing. They, he says and does things and everyone's like, you're what? And then on screen, you have these silences of everyone going, and Brits don't like silence. We do not like silence. It makes us feel very <laughs> awkward. And they held those si and where they're going, and then, and then the only way to fill it is to laugh. And you, you, you're, you're laughing because it's funny. You're laughing because you're embarrassed. Then you're laughing because you're, you're laughing because it's embarrassed. And so it's great. Now you watch the American one and it, it tees into a very different form of humor. That's a very American form of humor. Sure. Um, mm -hmm. which is similar but different. And that's why I think they're both great shows, but they're quite different in, in, their, in, their, in what they're trying to be funny about. Does that make sense? What do yeah. you guys think? It, it does. No, I'm a huge office nerd. Most people in my generation are. Um, and it took me a, probably three or four tries to actually watch through the British because the comedy was so different and I yes. just didn't really understand what was going on. And, uh, and disappointingly, once I actually kind of began to enjoy it, it's very short. There's not very many seasons and no, it's just kind of over. So, <laughs> but thanks for being with us today, Andy. That wraps up our time together. Uh, we'll be praying for you all. Uh, 
in Oxford and, and hope to see uh, your next Zoom Utopia conference uh, be another success and um, looking forward to maybe getting an update from you sometime in the future. Thank you so much, guys. And just to say, if you're ever in Oxford, any, any of your listeners in Oxford, we love having people visit, visit the church or just say hi. So come and visit, come and encourage us. We'll try and be an encouragement to you and every blessing on the work you, you guys do. Thank you, Andy. That's the last word for now. Thanks to Auxilio for sponsoring this episode, and thanks to you for listening. You can reach us with comments or questions on Twitter and Facebook at the number 5 points planting or by email at 5pointschurchplanting at gmail.com. See you all next time.